Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy McDonald, Senior Advisor of We Fight Fraud. Andy was formerly Head of Special Investigations at SO15 Terrorism Command, the UK National Terrorist Financial Investigation Unit, and previously Head of the Metropolitan Police Fraud Squad at New Scotland Yard. With over, over 30 years in detective roles, Andy is a leading financial crime and risk management expert, advising a wide array of global organisations. He's a subject matter expert in fraud and other illicit finance. He uses his law enforcement experience as a platform to help both public and private sectors to identify, understand and then manage and mitigate risk. Nowadays, his focus tends to be on crime prevention as opposed to enforcement. At this point, I should mention that Andy and I have known each other for many years, not in a professional capacity, I hasten to add, but rather back to our old school days and the sixth form in particular. So with that in mind, I'm delighted to extend a very warm welcome to you, Andy, and many thanks for sparing us some of your time. Many thanks, Richard. It's really, really good to be speaking with you again. It all sounded rather grand, Matt, didn't it? And uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned that uh, we were together at school for a long time. And uh, yeah, 38 years ago we left. I'm pretty sure that the headmaster then wouldn't have thought that you were doing what you, you've done for the last 30 years. And certainly they wouldn't have thought I did what I did. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's great to have the opportunity to speak to you. Yeah, as a bit of context, yeah, the, the jobs I had, particularly when I finished, um, the best job in counter-terrorism policing when I finished, um, I had everything to do with financial crime in terms of terrorism. And I had a couple of hundred people that if we couldn't prove they were terrorists, we'd get them for anything else. And as I'll come back to maybe, a lot of that was around financial crime. Because when we can't prove they're terrorists, we can look at them for other offences. And actually then being involved in fraud and other financial crime was one of the things that we could focus on. I suppose just to give you a bit of context, uh, yeah, I, I left, left you at school. Uh, you went off and did what you did. I went to uh, university, studied chemistry for four years and worked out after about a year. I didn't really want to do that. I did stick with it and uh, at the end of four years I joined the Met Police, um, no background in it and uh, I was a, basically a detective for a few years and then in 1993 I was looking for my first specialist squad and it ended up being the fraud squad and I, I was put on the futures and options team, well that was a pretty steep learning curve, had absolutely no idea how to run anything financial other than pretty much my checkbook and a bit about my mortgage and sometimes wasn't really good around that either. So learning about financial crime, it was something very, very different in terms of crime per se, but I learned a huge, huge amount. Um, I suppose if I look at how financial crime and fraud have changed uh, in, in the last 30 years or so, going back to then, speaking to experienced fraud detectives uh, when I first joined there, it was focused on a few issues, but at a very serious level. It was all about advanced fee fraud, mortgage fraud, investment fraud, whatever that means, but you know, lots of different investment type frauds public sector corruption and banking fraud per se. So what's changed? Because all of those things still exist and you know, we know there's plenty of fraud victims where they're individuals or firms, but the bad guys have adapted to a new, perhaps legal and regulatory framework. And most importantly, they're operating environments to ply their trade. And by that, I suppose I mean the use or misuse of the internet. And we, I know we're gonna talk a bit about how the internet sort of is impacted on the financial crime. But one thing that hasn't changed is that the bad guys are making loads of money out of individuals and firms who are losing money. We've got lots and lots of victims of crime. That simply hasn't changed. And if I go back to 1993, the advanced B scammers, they were doing things like purporting to have potentially billions of pounds available 
from government, foreign government wealth, that if you pay that bit up front, they get you access to it. And they used to fax those requests into the victims. Well, of course, the difference is now they just send it online. I have about four or five of these a month. I just get it on my inbox as opposed to on faxes. Thankfully, most of that I've worked out can go to a spam folder. But if it's not that, it's something else. And it's not the same old thing. They just adapt and they just change it. And the reason that happens is it doesn't matter whether they're doing it face-to-face -face in person, doesn't matter whether they're doing it by fax or sending you a letter as they did historically, or on the internet as they do these days, or perhaps by text message, all they're looking for is that 10% hit rate. So the bad guys out there haven't changed what they're trying to do, but just their operating procedures have changed. And that probably means, and the Perhaps the statistics would support that, that 80% of all fraud seems to be internet or cyber enabled as opposed to cyber crime per se. So that's not great in itself. And worryingly, when I'm constantly having to tell you know, people like my parents, yeah, my kids, you know, my kids, same as yours, they've grown up, but they're still our kids and their friends is to ignore this stuff that's too good to be true because that bit hasn't changed either. It's a scam, but just they're more professional than they ever used to be. So this ongoing challenge is clearly internet enabled. The cash rewards, which traditionally the goal might be, is perhaps is changing. Is cash the asset of these days? Yeah, there's increasing evidence that bad guys are exploring the crypto sector, um, whether or not they you know, might be able to afford them, um, what, what options might there be for them? And perhaps the market is a little bit volatile in the crypto sector at the moment, but you know, they're not that well in, uh, understood by the markets and law enforcement, perhaps for us to be able to number one understand them but to mitigate all the threats there so there's there's a very very big change in the market per se in financial crime and we need to understand that a lot better so i suppose eventually having spent 20 odd years in organized crime in particular always always having financial crime background in 2013 i ended up as the, the head of the mets fraud squad it was a bit of a full circle moment for me the only difference there was that when I first joined the fraud squad in 1993, there was about 200 of us investigating fraud, serious fraud. In the 2013, there were 37 staff I had. That's a big problem I find with um, certainly the response to financial crime is that it's not always a priority. And that's a real challenge in itself. You know, the perception of the public, the perception of the government, the perception of police leaders is fraud and financial crime a priority. Well, maybe not when you've got to think about counter-terrorism, when you've got to think about serious and violent crime, when you've got to think about all that, you know, sexual offences against children. Yeah, they're all massively important. The one thing I've nearly always seen is that cash and illicit finance is a really cross-cutting thing. It's really, really important we do stuff around it. It's interesting that you should mention that if something's too good to be true, then it probably is, because there's a very similar investment adage along those lines. And of course, around what we're talking about, if you're getting financial gain for the criminal that's basically equal to financial loss for the victim or, or victims so how does that translate in in, in terms of your, your current role and, and and even in terms of your past experience your role in setting up and fighting world cyber crime in particular there's a really big challenge because it doesn't matter whether it's online or whether it's face to face or whether it's that, that old school facts type stuff yeah Financial crime is pretty straightforward. It normally involves a scam of some description. Now, yeah, some, some of the scams are obvious. That can just be telling lies to you know, the advanced fee type thing. To the investment type frauds where actually the scam is based on something that should happen in real life. So it might be something 
similar to a share ramping, where you might have a new issue, and to get that into the market, it goes through processes of advertisement. It goes through processes of attracting investors. It goes through process of speaking to investors. Well, that's fine. It goes to market. It then hopefully sells well, and then hopefully, um, in, in the real world, there's going to be profits to be made in terms of that investment itself. Well, the criminal version of that is all of those same issues, except you've got a bad guy involved. And so what they do is they model their criminal version on something that should happen. What I'd invite everybody to do is think, could this happen in real life? Yes, it could. But if there's then that overlay of this is still too good to be true, the returns are just too high or whatever it is, don't say no, because investment sometimes is all about taking a risk. I understand that. Don't knee-jerk into no, but for goodness sake, don't knee-jerk into yes. And actually, one of the, you know, the key prevention messages that have been out there for a while is a really good one. That take five, take a step back, take five minutes, think, hang on, is this definitely right? Because if it's definitely wrong, you have to think about doing something really quickly. But if it's not quite right, take some advice. And there really is some great advice out there. But overarching all of that is, whether you're an individual, whether you're a firm, you must be able to identify and understand all the threats that are out there. And that's where the first problem is, because there are so many of them. At an individual level, there are, there are stacks and stacks of um, threats at the moment. You know, and I would say what they say, phishing, vishing, and smishing. So the dodgy emails, the dodgy um, videos that come through, the dodgy SMS messages, and of course, the cold calling. You still get the bad guys knocking on, on the old ladies' doors, trying to sell you something, trying to sell you a service. Now, that still happens all the time. In terms of banking, we've got the APP frauds. That's huge, the authorised push payments, where they're trying to get an account takeover. And the old school courier fraud, where they phone you up and pretend to be the bank manager or the police, and then they fleece you of your life savings. That is huge. And for individuals, that tends to be the bad guys focus on vulnerable people. Now, if you'd asked me three years ago what vulnerable means, that tended to mean little old ladies. If I'm, if I'm really, really honest, you know, it would be the vulnerable people, you know, people, people like you know, our parents, their sort of age, where they'll take a phone call, they probably won't really understand, they'll get talked into something because the other guy, the bad guy sounds like somebody who's really, really reasonable. That is still massive, absolutely massive. But what's changed, and I think one of the uh, very few things that COVID has taught us, and it's a good thing to come out of the, the, the recent experiences, is that the bad guys have gone online. The bad guys are doing all sorts of things because they've now got a much wider audience who are increasingly online. Just think about us, we would never have dreamt of doing this a few months ago, actually speaking uh, over the internet. You know, we'd have a face-to-face, -face, we'd have a meeting face. Well, that's not happening so much. It hasn't been happening now since March. So there's a whole new world of opportunity online for them to perpetuate financial fraud and other financial crime. So we've got young people who think they're security savvy, but really aren't. And they perhaps are a bit cocky about it. You know, we all understand that. Um, there's people like you and I, our age, think we know a bit, probably understand that we don't know too much, maybe get a bit too overcautious and then can't communicate properly, or we get a bit overconfident because we've been doing it for a while now. And then of course you've got lots and lots of um, older people who have found the world of Zooms great for keeping in touch. But then of course it opens up all those opportunities. Do you not think the bad guys know this? They have seen this as a massive, massive opportunity. There's something like a 375% um, increase in, um, in vishing and uh, smishing, which is the video and uh, SMS versions of fraud. 
because they know people are now using mobile communications to get in touch a lot, a lot more often. So the bad guys have spotted another opportunity. It's online and therefore we have to understand that that's an issue. What can we do for ourselves? Because I do think there's some personal responsibility about stopping this happening. The messages are out there. It's probably pointing people towards them in the, in the right sort of way and simple to understand. Because if you ask me, how do I set up all the security settings on my various devices, of which they're fine, and I love my tech, I'm really, really struggling sometimes. I get a young person to do it. You know, my son's great at it. But actually, he's really rubbish in some of his communications with, with his friends because they're trusted contacts. We're talking about a whole new um, framework, a whole new uh, environment that we're now operating. And although there's some great information out there, I'm not sure there's some really simple, consistency mess messaging out there, which is going to help people to avoid becoming a, a victim. You mentioned um, not being knee-jerked into a no or a yes, and to heed the fact that there's a great deal of advice that is out there, if, if you're not sure. What sort of advice is out there? for the, the man or the lady on the street? If I said for individuals, so you're looking at, so in the, in the retail arena or you know, in banking, those sort of things, your bank, so if, if, if I think I've been in that West ever since I was a kid, they've got some fantastic information. You have to have a bit of a dig around for it. But of course, if you go into your, log into your account online and just type in fraud in the search box, there's a whole load of really, really, really good, simple advice about keeping you as an individual safe online. If you're a firm, some sort of business, it rather depends whether you're in the regulated sector or not, because if you're in the regulated sector, you've got all sorts of issues. And yeah, I think I, I read um, a stat last week, there's 2,800 new pieces of um, regulatory requirements in the last four and a half months, or, or since lockdown, if you want to call it that, that may impact on your compliance type measures you have to take. Now that's everything from security to anti-money laundering to sanctions, all sorts of stuff. So not only have you got to think about everything you were thinking about before March, so there's now potentially another 2,800. It can be a complete minefield, but there are some simple things. And certainly in terms of the firm that I work with at the moment, you know, We Fight Fraud, where we, um, we vulnerability test a lot of places, we're finding that the move to working from home has some great advantages, but it has some really big disadvantages as well. So when you're, as a, as a firm, secured in your office environment, you've probably got your IT and your network people on top of simple things like firewalls, simple things like Wi-Fi connections, simple things like personal, although corporate, but personal emails. Just that infrastructure is in place. We, when we were testing a number of firms over the past couple of months, have seen that individuals sitting at home, distracted, all the sort of things that everybody's read about, they're making a massive difference to the potential vulnerability. And of course, the bad guys have worked this out. It's really interesting to me over the past few years, I've worked with firms who are doing lots of what they call KYC, know your customer, onboarding, continued due diligence, enhanced due diligence, the exiting procedure in, in financial services. All those things are really, really important. You need to know the people you're taking on board, all the risks that they may or your products may uh, present. The one thing they never think about is the KYC that stands for know your criminal because we all think we know what a criminal wants now I know it's I know it's your interview Richard but I'm going to turn it around on you if I said to you what do you think a criminal is trying to do when they scam somebody for fraud what, what, what do you think their motive is money money and that's what I would say that's what 99.99% of everybody says well as you know some of the people I work with currently are former hackers ex-fraudsters and criminals they will say something completely different. 
they would say on the whole, what they're trying to get from people these days is data. Yes, it is money ultimately, and obviously the ultimate motive is to make yeah. money out of this, but they're trying to get data off people. They're approaching individuals to try and get their personal data. They're approaching firms to try and get their corporate data, but also all of the data they hold within their systems about their clients because they can make more money selling data than they can perhaps just by doing the scam itself. After 30 plus years, to suddenly be told by somebody, no, actually, I think you got it wrong, Andy, the motive of bad guys tends to be more about data these days because they can get that online. Don't have to go face to face, that toe to toe. They can just get that all online. They can steal it either by hacking or they can elicit it through all of those um, online frauds that we talked about previously. That's what they're after. Yes, they will sell it and make money afterwards, but that's what people need to focus on. And so you have to think about how might my data be vulnerable? How might my market data, firm's market data be vulnerable? What do we need to put in place to make sure that can't be stolen? And then you've got to think about, well, if they can't get it straightforwardly, they'll then social engineer the people. I think one of the other things that really strikes me about you know, what's changed is suddenly in the last five years, um, the regulators, people like the FCA are saying, firms must make, must invest in better technology to help them prevent crime. Well, that's great because technology can help you gather intelligence, come up with thematics, come up with all sorts of ideas about what might look suspicious. But unfortunately, computers don't commit crime, people do. Now, the bad guys know this, they just want to break in and get it. If they can't straightforwardly break in and get it, what they'll do is they'll focus on the people who do have access to that. They'll look for insiders in firms. They'll look to socially engineer people who are working either in forward-facing, sort of customer-facing roles, or people who are working front, middle, and back office. And that's what we're seeing, seeing a lot of, and there's a lot of things that we test, is that, okay, you might have great security within your firm, but if your people can be undermined by you know, the bad guys, socially engineering, they're really, really highly skilled at this. I mean, you've met one of the guys. He, he knows exactly what he's doing when he's socially engineering people. He will find stuff out about you, which when he just starts putting all the pieces together, suddenly he's got a profile. He will then go and use and commit crime in that different profile. That has tended to be one of the things that is perhaps less understood. Whilst I loved, I had a fantastic time in 30 years, my, probably my biggest frustration was that even when we came up with some brilliant ideas, both with policing and all the external partners we worked with, um, you know, in the financial services, um, with other agencies, we would have some brilliant ideas, some brilliant action plans. It'd take about three years to get anything done. The other advantage the bad guys have got is they just get on with it. They do do a bit of vulnerability test and they do think about, am I going to get caught? They do look at what the landscape looks at. You know, they, they try to identify threat and risk, just as we do. But what they don't do is have a, about a million and one different meetings and try and work out action plans and have um, memorandums of understanding and service level agreement. They don't have any of that. They just try it, get on with it, and if it doesn't work, they'll move on. So by the time we've actually got anything in place, of course, they've moved on about four times. The one thing I'd say about the past three or four months is that we've seen that when things are really uh, in times of crisis, when things really need to get, sometimes you can get stuff done. Perhaps my, my biggest hope for the future is there's some great sound bites out there about what they're going to do about anti-bribery and corruption, financial crime, money laundering, all those things and fraud. Maybe they'll get on with it a bit faster because we're always going to be behind the curve simply because we can't think like the bad guys do. We think we can, but actually we can't. I suppose it's one of the advantages I've got where I've got people who used to do that role. They've still got access to that type of information and intelligence to better understand how the bad guys are thinking helps us to sometimes be able to help people understand their risks and threats.
so that they can then get them sorted out. Well, on that cautiously optimistic note, I can't believe that we've uh, already run out of time. It's an absolute goldmine perspective and advice, Andy. And uh, thank you once again for, for sparing your time. That's been absolutely terrific. So that was Andy McDonald, Senior Advisor of We Fight Fraud and formerly Head of Special Operations at Counterterrorism Command. And thank you for listening. Do join us again next time for another interactive investor podcast. Thank you.